the mm-hmm. questions that salespeople are taught to ask, like, do you have a budget for this? Yeah. It doesn't matter whether they have a budget for this. Like you said, if it's important enough, they'll find the money. And how much is in your budget, it's never going to be enough for what you want to sell them. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I've got Dave Curlin with us, and we're going to talk about driving sales momentum with effective prospecting. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. So by way of introduction, uh, Dave Curlin is the founder and CEO of the Objective Management Group, which is the leading developer of sales assessment tools. He also founded Curlin Associates. He's the the best-selling author of Baseline Selling, How to Become a Sales Superstar by Using What You Already Know About the Game of Baseball. Carlin is also a top-rated keynote speaker and a columnist at Top Sales Magazine. So let's jump into it, Dave. How okay. should salespeople be trained to cold call or have their first meeting with a prospect? Well, that's great. And we're talking about two separate things, right? A cold call and a first meeting with a prospect because one comes before the other. So let's start with cold calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, to effectively cold call, and, and this assumes you're actually willing to do it because it's grunt work, right? It's, it's miserable and demotivating and time-wasting and horrible and no fun. But it's where um, the money comes from a lot of times. It is where the money comes from. <laughs> and I know that when I started in sales in 1973, I hated the idea of making cold calls all day long just to schedule three meetings. So my commitment at that time was to get so freaking good at it that I wouldn't have to do it for very long. And then I quickly uh, pivoted and decided to get so freaking good at getting referrals and introductions that I'd never have to do it. So. You know, everything in stages. Um, the, the goal is to get enough referrals and introductions so that you never have to make another cold call. But until you have enough, you'll have to supplement with cold calls. And while you don't have any, you just got to pound the phone. Now, the good news is today, with all the changes in selling environment and the panic and the virus and the economy and people working remotely, you can actually reach people on the phone. It's it's the best climate for reaching people by phone that I've seen in 12 years. Uh, so that's pretty excited. People are answering calls, they're returning calls, but it's dependent on how you sound and your messaging. So how you sound. If you sound like a professional and, or a radio broadcaster and you're all serious and just hell bent on telling them who you are and where you're from and what you sell and why you want to meet with them, well, that's not going to work. Um, but if you sound happy to be on the phone with them and you sound like their best friend and uh, you sound eager to help and you have the right messaging, and I'll talk about messaging in a second, then they're going to want to talk with you. So there's a, a direct correlation between how you sound and their willingness to hang in there on the phone. Uh, so introduce yourself. And then from a messaging standpoint, it's all about the positioning statement. The thing you say about what you do that happens right after you introduce yourself. 
And that messaging needs to be short, concise, uh, and brilliant. It needs to stick. And it's not what you sell and who you sell it for and who you sell it to. It's who you help, why you help them, and that's it. So if uh, I'm in field sales and I'm calling on uh, an industrial manufacturer, it's going to be, I, maybe it's I help plant managers who are frustrated over all the downtime that they keep having. And that's it. And then I might give a couple of examples of the kinds of problems that I solve. Like the two biggest problems I hear are uh, old equipment and difficult to repair. And maybe I go from there. Uh, so it's about how you sound. It's about the opening statement, your messaging, and the two examples you give. And then you want to have the kind of conversation, you know, A, do you have either of those problems? Tell me more about that. And you need the kind of conversation that would uncover at least an issue that you can solve so that you can say, sounds like a problem, and do you want to fix it? And that will get you meetings. Absolutely. Well, I was, I was really interested in the part that you were talking about how you want to sound like their best friend and sound like someone they, they're comfortable talking to. Could you talk a little bit more about that informal way of, of sure. speaking that you support? Yeah. Let's, let's first, for contrast's sake, let's demonstrate how salespeople usually call. The phone rings, somebody answers, and they usually say, yes, this is... Mm -hmm. Joe Schmo, I'm calling from ABC Company, and we are the for 30 seconds, right? And who, who wants to even pay attention to that? To get someone's attention, you have to take a totally different approach. With that approach, they can continue working on their computer, they can continue typing, they can continue reading emails because you haven't stopped to take a breath, so they don't have to respond, which means that they're not engaged and you don't have their attention. So if you want to quickly get their attention, it would be like, hi, Bob, it's Dave Curlin. And you just shut up and wait for them to respond. That forces engagement. It makes it sound like they ought to know who you are based on how you sounded. Even if they fake it, that's okay. Even if yeah, they pretend like, like they hey, know you while they're trying Dave, to figure out if they you? do. <laughs> right, hey, Dave. And I, would, and I would come back with, sounds like you know who I am or sounds like you were expecting my call. <laughs> and then go into my positioning statement. Awesome. Awesome. That, that is really clever. Um, but when you can't get prospects to sound the way you want them to sound, it's on you. You know, it's because you sound boring. You sound abrasive. You sound arrogant. You sound like you're in a hurry. You sound like you don't want to be on the call. You sound too professional. Just lighten up, chill, and have a conversation. Okay. So, no, so I mean, I feel like you hear so much about like, Oh, hey, figure out the cold call script for the team. And, and so many people kind of advocate that it sounds like you're really saying, no, stay informal, go off script. Can you, can you talk about that? Sure. Um, though the words that make up your positioning statement are important. Um, we spend an hour helping teams create the right messaging for that positioning statement and two examples. But once you've got those down and you know they work and that people respond to those, the rest of it is just have a nice conversation uh, and ask questions until you uncover an issue that you can help with. Okay. And 
Could you talk a bit more about, like you mentioned the, like how to open up and how to break the ice. What are some other creative ways that a salesperson could break the ice at the beginning of a conversation and, and make more of an emotional connection? Well, the emotional connection comes from using an emotional word inside that positioning statement. Um, like in my world, if I were making a cold call on behalf of my sales training company and I was calling a CEO, right now I'd be saying something like, I help CEOs who are absolutely panic stricken over how their sales organization is going to make up for the sales they lost in the last three months. And it, it's all about the emotional words that go with the problem. And that's what gets people engaged that you know how they're probably feeling about a problem they probably have. And, uh, and how do you kind of, how, how, how do you approach the empathy of understanding where they're coming from right now? Like, is it just knowledge of what's going on in the world or is it knowledge about that exact company? Well, most salespeople are calling on a, either a specific vertical, uh, a segment of that vertical, or a specific audience. An audience would be like plant managers and a vertical would be like manufacturers and a segment would be like a specific kind of manufacturer. So if we look at what's going on in the world, we've lost entire verticals like travel and tourism. We've lost segments like um, a company that calls on retail. The small specialty retailers are gone. So we've lost a segment of retail. And if we're looking at audiences, again, if we go to MySpace, a lot of sales enablement directors and a lot of learning and development directors were furloughed or laid off and they're gone. So that's an audience that disappeared. Absolutely. How important is an emotional connection with your prospect in terms of the overall uh, sales cycle? It's not important at all if you don't care about whether you sell anything. <laughs> so pretty important. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all about the emotional connection. It's all about starting from an understanding that the people you work with have these kinds of problems and feel this way about those problems. And are you one of those people? that feels that way about that problem. Let's talk about that. And how do so, you, how do you bridge that emotional connection early on? How can, what's, what's the fastest way? I mean, you mentioned using the word, but what are the, what are the uh, shortcuts to making, to forging that emotional connection with a customer? The, the fastest way to get to an emotional connection is to take your time and not rush to that emotional connection. In other words, if you give a couple examples of the kinds of problems that your audience has, assuming you're calling on that title that is the audience you have, say, I, most of the people that I work with are telling me they have this problem and this problem. Do either of those sound familiar? And they say, A. Say, tell me more about A. And you start asking them some questions about how often that happens, when was the last time it happened, and how did that manifest for you, and uh, how bad was it, what did that cost you, and who did it affect, and oh, it affected customers, and they were complaining, and uh, what's a typical customer worth, and how many times have they complained, and who feels the pressure from that, and how do you feel when that happens? It's, so it's about having the kind of conversation that would allow you to get to, and how do you feel when that happens?
is. And then you empathize with that. Excellent. And, and so describe for me what you see the perfect cold call being with a prospect. What does it look like? What are the hallmarks of the perfect cold call? It looks like you sound good enough. You sound good enough in the first 10 seconds that they want to talk to you. Number one. Number two, they resonate with your positioning statement, your messaging. So that they go, they say to themselves, that's me. Number three, they pick one of those two examples you gave them said, yeah, we have that problem. Number four, they're willing to share and talk about how it affects them, share their feelings. And then you can say, sounds like a problem. And they say, yeah. And you ask, do you want to fix it? And they say, yeah. And you schedule a follow-up meeting today. That follow-up meeting might be virtual. It could be by phone. It's probably not going to be face-to-face for a while. So a good cold call is less than five minutes. You got their attention early. You got them engaged quickly and they started sharing with you right away. Okay. And um, what are some tips that you have for making the qualification of a prospect during that first meeting? Because a lot of SDRs who are setting these um, meetings or there require there's re- qualification requirements where it does it doesn't count as a meeting unless you found out you know X Y and Z about the about the customer. How do you now you hit a pet peeve of mine? Okay. Oh, that one fell out of my ear. We'll go with this one. <laughs> um, a pet peeve of mine is SDRs qualifying, and, and so many of them use Bant, which uh-huh. is ancient, antiquated, useless. Um, If you're familiar with solution selling. And just so everyone follows, bent is budget, authority, need, timing. Those are the four things that you want. And every company has a little twist on this, but a lot of times the SDR is required to ask and fill out these four questions before they can kick kick the meeting over to the AE. Yeah, can you say lost opportunity? Oh my God. I mean, if we've got someone on the phone that's willing to talk to us and admit to an issue, let's just schedule a follow-up call. How much time can you waste today if it's going to be by phone or virtual? It's not like you have to drive two hours and meet somebody and it's going to be a wasted time. I mean, you can do this now without ruining an opportunity. Solution selling is popular with technology companies. So many of the companies that Curlin and Associates has gone in and helped was previously using solution selling. And as a result of solution selling, they had a piss poor win rate, an awful win rate. Why? Because qualifying is the first stage of the sales process. And the problem is, if you haven't yet had a discovery conversation and uncovered their compelling reason to buy, and their compelling reason to buy from you and quantified that so we know how much the problem is costing them and differentiated yourself by asking a lot of good, tough, timely questions and having that tough conversation that nobody else has had with them. That's what creates urgency. When there's urgency, they'll qualify themselves. You don't have to pull teeth to do it. But when you qualify up front, they don't have an incentive to answer any of that time. Everybody's busy. Nobody wants to answer qualifying questions for something they haven't even decided to buy yet. So I hate when SDRs are qualifying opportunities. I mean, let's do some research. We, 
is the company in our sweet spot or not? Does this person have the title we want to talk to or not? They don't come up with the money most of the time until they realize there's a problem they need to solve and there's urgency. Mm -hmm. So you've got to get them there before you worry about whether you're with the right person, whether they have enough money, whether they'll spend it, whether they'll spend it with you yeah, and, and how soon they'll do it. So put, just make sure there's an issue you can solve. You'll eventually get to a person who has an authority to do something about it, but it starts with whether they have a problem you can fix. Yeah. I, I remember when I was, uh... other than that, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, no, this is not a big deal to you at all. No, I, I, this, I, this, uh, what you're saying completely resonates with me. I remember when I was in an AE and I had an SDR who actually, he, he, he was doing a great job and the budget question, like, you know, he, he was required to talk to the customer about budget. And I was like, listen, just all, you know, if you have the, if, if everything else looks right, we don't have to start talking to him about budget. Like people have the money. People will make the money for this later. I don't That's even right. want to talk to about budget in the first meeting. Like, and, and just, we do want to talk about money, but mm -hmm. the questions that salespeople are taught to ask, like, do you have a budget for this? It yeah. doesn't matter whether they have a budget for this. Like you said, if it's important enough, they'll find the money and how much is in your budget. It's never going to be enough for what you want to sell them. Well, they didn't so have a budget. All, they didn't all know they those were two questions do is, yeah, those questions just dig a hole that you can't get out of. Yeah. So it, it's most important to ask once you have the problem and you've monetized it and there's a compelling reason, it's are you willing to spend a little more with me to get this problem you've been telling me about for the last 45 minutes fixed the right way the first time right now? Uh, if you're in a competitive situation and if, it, and if you're not in a competitive situation, uh, by the way, that's how we sell value. If you're not in a competitive situation, then it's, are you willing to spend around this much money to get this problem that's costing you this much money fixed? Not, do you have a budget and how much is in your budget ever? Yeah, I, I, I could not agree anymore. What, uh, let's talk more about sales strategies. Um, what, what sales strategies can be used early in the sales process to that kind of set you up to close the deal later? That's a great question. And I don't, I don't know whether I would call them strategies or tactics. Mm -hmm. And to a lot of people, they're one in the same strategy is bigger picture, more, more what we'd use for what's the plan to win this piece of business. Tactics might be what's the move or the question yeah. or the technique that we're going to use right now to get this to happen. So I think you mean tactics. I think I do mean tactics. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to clarify, let's talk about tactics. So, so tactically, uh, what I teach salespeople to do is look for the very first opportunity they can find to nicely push back, nicely challenge the status quo, challenge the thinking so that they can quickly differentiate themselves from anybody else who's ever come in and tried to sell to this person so that we can get their respect, so that we can show we know what the hell we're talking about without bragging that we know what we're talking about, without demonstrating that we know what we're talking about and have that conversation that nobody else has had. So tactically, what I would do is as soon as I heard that thing that I would want to push back on, I would say, is it okay if I push back on what you just said? 
or can I have permission to push back? And you always get permission first. Okay. That, that's a, that's an, and if they're going to hate what you're about to say, you, you might even start it with, and you're probably going to hate what I'm about to say, but I'll take that risk uh, to, to have an opportunity to. That, that's a great, that's out. a great talk path. Even if you don't think they're going to hate it, if it's just going to be a little abrasive, that's a great, a great way to set it up. Like, ah, you might hate hearing this, but you know, I've seen this in other customers or and then you lay it out. Um, yeah, one thing you talked, <laughs> you, 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 uh, you, you talked about having a tight, I forget the word exactly that you use right now, but you, you having a, a, a give, getting your value proposition and proposition across without dragging on for 30 seconds. So how do you build this? How do you set up a company and, and how would you advise them to build their pitch in 10 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever, whatever the, the amount of time that you're, you're saying is appropriate. If you, if, if when you introduce yourself, you're not supposed to drag on for 30 seconds. How do you, how do you craft that? Um, it always starts with I help and then the title and then who are some emotion over some problem due to something. That's, that's kind of the syntax for it. And most people will come up with 20 or 30 words to say that because they think more is better, but less is more. And uh, so when I get a look at what they've created, I'm always looking for ways to chop words off, keep it to 10, 12 words, 15 at the most, and make it as succinct and clear as possible because the more words you use, the fewer words that prospect is going to hear because you don't have them paying all their attention to you yet that early in the conversation. You haven't gotten them that fully engaged yet. So less is more. And also the way you deliver that positioning statement. If, if you come up with 12 words, like I help plant managers who are frustrated all over all the downtime they're having due to equipment failures. It, it, you don't say it the same way it appears on your paper or on your screen. You say it this way. I help plant managers who are frustrated over all of the downtime that they're experiencing due, due to equipment failures. So you break it into four chunks so they hear all four chunks and they, they didn't just catch a couple of words here and there. So it, it's a lot how you sound, but it's a lot about getting those words right. And I'm not much of a stickler for words in sales calls, but those words are important. Yeah, I noticed you really slowed down so that the person could wrap and pa took pauses in between That's each right. one of your points yep. that allowed what you were saying to really hit the listener. Exactly. If you... So that's that's the first 10 seconds. Let's talk about the other 290 seconds or that you had, or two minutes and, and 50 seconds. Sorry, my math is terrible. <laughs> two, two minutes and 50 seconds that you have in a, in a three-minute call your math uh, couldn't be worse than mine. <laughs> I'm more of a talker. Than when when I start doing math, that my the leaders on my team start saying you're doing Curlanian math. They have a, they have a word for it. It always comes out wrong. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, I stick with Excel. They they make fewer mistakes. But the uh, is it, so if you what do you do with the other two minutes and fifty seconds with uh, with your prospect in in that cold call? If you if you have you know you got that short period of time, what are the key pieces of information together? The key points just one to key, make? just one key. Yeah, is there a problem that I can fix? 
that I can help with? Is there an issue? Even if it's just a symptom that I pick up, as long as it sounds like a problem to them and I have the ability to fix that problem through my products or my services, that's all I want to get out of that first call. It's get in, get out, schedule a follow-up meeting so that we ask for enough time so we're not rushed and we can slow down and really talk about what's going on for them. Okay. A lot of people um, feel in today and, and, you know, the principal revenue, we had Aaron Ross, Ross on the show a little while ago. A lot of people feel that, you know, that you should really have this as being two different things, the SDR role and, and they generate the leads to be passed to the account executive. But when I, when I started, when I was an AE, I was, you know, I, there, there were times when I had an SDR at some companies, I guess, but sometimes it, the, the lead generation was on me. I was making my own calls. What do you think about how that's changed over the last 20 years? And I mean, I guess in your career, 45 years. Um, and, uh, and, and what do you think about that change? Because sometimes I'm a, little, I'm a little mixed on that one. You should be mixed because it doesn't always work. I mean, some companies do it and then, oh, everybody's supposed to have two separate roles. They're supposed to be a top of the funnel team and they're supposed to be an account executive team. That's well, the religion SDRs and BDRs and AEs. And, mm -hmm. and here, here's what we do know. We know that for the most part, BDRs have a pathetic me uh, call to meeting ratio. And they're scheduling like a half a meeting a week is the national average. Why would we have people in that role if the best they can do is a half a meeting a week? Um, we also know that there are companies out there that uh, help salespeople schedule meetings using automated dialing. Uh, they'll they just dial dozens and dozens of prospects off the list at the same time until they reach somebody and then the salesperson can pick it up and talk to seven or eight people an hour. That to me, that's more efficient and effective than a BDR wasting all week to get a half a meeting. Uh, three, as a salesperson, I don't want to show up or call or be on a video conference uh, with somebody that I haven't already spoken with and determine for myself that they have a problem that I can help with. I don't want to be walking in on some low quality opportunity. So, I don't even like the idea of a good salesperson having somebody setting up their calls for them. And, and we, we know that the top 5% of all salespeople, they, they score very high at hunting. They still hunt. They don't rely on BDRs to schedule their meetings for them. The crappy salespeople do. And so it's crappy salespeople going in on crappy meetings that were set up by crappy BDRs. And I'm sorry to offend BDRs who aren't crappy, um, but half of all salespeople suck and two thirds of all BDRs suck. Those are just the statistics. So that is the way it is. And, and I think if we're going to shake out from the crisis mode that we're in, we might, we might see, uh, uh, a trip back to the way it used to be when salespeople did their own prospecting and selling as opposed to the, uh, the dedicated roles. Yeah. Well, let, let's, let's dig in a little deeper there. Like it's clear that a there's a lot of failure in sales and are you sure we can dig deeper than that? I already hit rock. 
<laughs> you, there, a lot of a lot of salespeople fail in their roles. A lot of BDRs or, and SDRs, you know, don't get don't get done what we what we want them to get done. What are the mistakes that they're making in their conversations, and, and especially with their early conversations or their or their cold call with customers that that set them up for failure or that cause them to fail? Well, it starts with crappy scripting because nobody wants to get a call from a person who's reading from a script. It's just dreadful, right? Mm -hmm. uh, then a call from there, they don't sound like they're into it. They, it's obvious they're just reading the freaking script and not having fun and not passionate about what they're doing and certainly not passionate about helping people. So they sound wrong. They have the wrong words and it's going to make them completely ineffective doing what they're doing. They'll, they'll schedule some meetings, but only when they luck into calling somebody who needed what they had and needed it now, you know, <laughs> they're not going to convince anybody who didn't need it and didn't need it now to, to schedule a meeting because they, they just suck too badly. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's maybe why this has become such the reflex in technology because they're, in the world of technology, there, there, a lot of the time you just are coming to someone like, let's use, you know, Salesforce 25 years ago as an example, like they were early CRMs that were, you know, on premise, they were really nasty. And so when they were walking up and saying, Hey, we have a browser based CRM, like, Hey, do you not even have a CRM because it's such a pain in the butt to set them up and only big companies have it. Now you can just turn one on or B if you have a big, if your CRM's a disaster and it's going terribly, would you like to just try this out? We can, you can use it in a browser and check it out. I, I think, you know, in technology, often you're just coming to the to a, the buyer with something that is such a clear solution to an obvious problem. And it's just technology now enables us to fix this problem that couldn't have been fixed before. And uh, and so this this strategy of just like hammering away has has worked, but I'm not sure it it's unless people just didn't even know that this thing existed. It's, I'm not sure if it's uh, replicatable across other industries. Yeah. And you know, if we're talking about technology and I know you guys have uh, mapping technology. Um, most of the companies that are selling technology, it's something they can demonstrate. So they get demos scheduled and they get prospects interested they get them to nice to have, this would be nice to have, but they never get them to, we must have this, which is why so many deals die halfway through the, the pipeline. They get stuck in the middle stages because they, they haven't gotten to the point where they said to themselves, we gotta have this. Therefore, they can't get the decision maker engaged because there's no compelling reason to, and they can't get the decision maker to approve the money for the same reason. So so many opportunities just get stuck at this would be nice to have and salespeople must get their prospects to must have how do they do that how what is the what what do you what do you do in a sales cycle to take someone take a prospect from that's nice to have this this is cool technology or this is a cool product or service to oh i've got to do this 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 we have to do this yesterday why haven't we done this already it takes three things Excellent active listening skills. You have to know what you're listening for. Two, great questioning skills. You have to know how to formulate a follow-up question so you can go a little wider and a little deeper based on what you were told. And three, a sense of what you're after, a sense of where you need to end up so that 
you know, if, if we're looking for buried treasure, each path we take and each question we ask has to bring us a little closer to the buried treasure. And in this case, the buried treasure is a problem that impacts this person personally that costs money uh, based on uh, money being paid out or money they're losing out on uh, or an opportunity not being realized by not having what we can do that'll solve that problem or address that issue or take them to the next level. And uh, well, finish this sentence for me. In a perfect Maybe. world, <laughs> depending what the blank is, in a perfect <laughs> world, all salespeople would blank. Stop sending those horrible fucking emails that assume that I want to talk to them at one o'clock this afternoon. That's that's a good one. I actually hate that. They're always like, would you like to talk tomorrow? I'm like, no, no. Why? I, I would have told you if I wanted to talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, my, my LinkedIn profile is basically, basically ruined by cold emails asking for that. Uh, as, so as an actionable takeaway, what should the field salespeople listen today do as a first step towards prospecting better and generating more sales momentum? got to learn to sell consultatively. There is no way around this right now. We're going to be in the worst economy we've ever seen for a while. It's going to be worse than 2008, 2009. If you sold through that, it's going to be that on steroids. Companies will either be on a spending freeze or if they're spending money, they'll be very selective about what they're spending it on and who they're spending it with. And three, if they're spending it on something that you're selling, they're gonna try to squeeze you like a roll of Charmin to get every last bit of margin out of you at a time where you can ill afford to lose any margin. The only way to differentiate yourself and sell value is to really learn how to sell consultatively, which means listening and asking questions. That, will help you become a better prospector because you'll learn what you're really prospecting for. You'll learn how to have conversations with people on a cold phone call and it will, it will integrate holistically and just be a continuation of a, of the kind of conversation that they're happy to have with you. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, uh, this last month, I, or they I can watch Netflix. <laughs> exactly. And for, for listeners, it's, it is the end of April right now, 2020. So we're right in the middle of the initial COVID situation here. And yeah, I, the, this past month, I, half the time I wish I was selling rolls of, uh, rolls of Charmin instead of uh, software for field salespeople. <laughs> didn't, didn't see this one coming. Um, but uh, what, what uh, you haven't interviewed me before. <laughs> what, re what resources uh, have have you, would you recommend to help people uh, learn to sell more consultatively like you're recommending? Lots of resources. So you could start by going to my blog, uh, which is omghub.com. It's understanding the sales force and the URL is OMG, like, oh my God, but it's objective management group, omghub.com. And at the, there's 1900 articles there. And most of them have something to do with sales process, consultative selling, value selling, prospecting, and closing. So from there, you can contact me. From there, you can get my book. Uh, from there, you can ask about my uh, online self-directed baseline selling course, which will teach you the very things that we briefly touched on today. Uh, 
And if you're interested in any of that, just send me an email, uh, dkurlan, K-U-R-L-A-N, D-K-U-R-L-A-N at curlinassociates.com. Awesome. Well, I'm going to attempt to summarize the wisdom that you've dropped upon us today, although that's going to be hard to do in two minutes. (laughs) I'll do my best. Um, So, And and that's another thing. Have fun. Everybody takes themselves so freaking seriously. That's true. Lighten up. (laughs) Yeah, especially in these times, man. Well, today, so Dave obviously gave us a ton of information today, a ton of knowledge. First piece, today you can reach more people on the phone than you ever have in the past, I think he said 12 years due to the way this virus has affected people. So let's talk about cold calling effectively. First, sound like a friend and sound like you're there to help. Come from the perspective that you're there to help. Your messaging about what you do should be very short. Don't draw, don't you know, draw on for 30 seconds but make sure that you do include who you help and why you help them. To start, your cold call, your cold call just start by saying hi and telling them your name and just pause. Like, uh, like this, so it's like, hi John, I'm Steve Benson. And, and then pause and, and let them talk and then go into your value proposition that is not 30 seconds. Can I make a slight adjustment on that, Steve? Sure. It's instead of um, I'm or I am or this is says you don't know who the hell I am, so this must be a cold call. It's suggests that you know me from someplace and some time and causes you to work harder to figure out from where and when. Okay, get their get their little brain churning. I, I love it. Yep. Um, and then try to have a nice conversation, consultative conversation, and ask questions until you uncover an issue or a pain. A perfect cold call is less than five minutes, gets the prospect's attention early, gets them engaged early, and gets them to share with you right away. Use words in your messaging that channel emotions to better connect with your prospects. With your value statement, include, I help, and then say the prospect's title, basically, you know, if it's, you know, sales operations people you're calling. I help sales operations people with some problem, XYZ problem. And then, then you add an emotion. So who are frustrated or who are annoyed or who waste a ton of time. And or right now who are scared to death. Yeah. Emotion there, you know, and, and then, then describe what it is that you, you help them with. So I help sales operations people f- figure out where where they're, uh, how to rebuild territories because they're frustrated that they, that their territories are all out of balance right now after changing up the sales team. And I help them find that balance. Or, uh, I help sales operation VPs who are in a panic over the destruction that's happened to their sales territories as a result of working from home and the virus. And, and I, I think what you're doing there is really, really unique too. That it's worth talking about. See, like, did you see how he did it slower than I did? Like he, he said the thing and he paused. I love his pauses. Um, it really allows us things to allows things to punch through and, and hit the. I'd, I'd call myself the pause guy, but 
that that would give people the wrong idea about what I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I help plant managers who are frustrated over all the downtime that's due to equipment failures right now. The the pauses are so important there. Um, I, I help CEOs who are absolutely panic stricken with the revenue that they've lost in the last three months. Perfect. So, so powerful. Um, and and, and to, to give that acting on a, on a prospecting call, I've never heard anyone do that in my life. I, I think this is just fantastic. So uh, next, don't ask about budget until you've found out about your prospect's exact problem. And really like, don't follow this qualification um, religion that has kind of cropped, cropped up before you, you know, all, all these questions must be answered before you bring the salesperson in to be involved. Um, once you find a problem and you've, you've monetized it, meaning you placed a, val a money value around what the problem is costing them, only then would you talk about budget and price and all those things. Look for the very first opportunity to push back on a prospect so that you can differentiate yourself from other, from other competitors. Get permission to push back by saying things like, you might hate what I'm about to say, but can I, or can I push back on what you just said? And, and, and that's a way to differentiate, differentiate yourself. To move your prospect from thinking of your solution from just being a nice to have to a must have, use active listening, have great questioning skills to form a follow-up question, and have a sense of, of what you're after. Um, well, Dave, that was, that was the best I could, uh, I could summarize was, all, your, all your, the knowledge you gave us That was a pretty, pretty damn good summary. <laughs> good job, Steve. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, well, a lot of our listeners are in their cars, not right now, but normally when they, they're, they listen to our podcast, they're field salespeople, so they're in their cars and they can't take notes or anything, so we, we summarize it for them. Um, well, this has been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. Uh, if... If you can think of any other sales reps that are making cold calls and would benefit from learning what Dave's taught us about today, feel free to send this on to them. Um, always appreciate it if you can leave a rating for the podcast. If you find the podcast helpful, it really it helps, uh, helps spread the word out there. Take care until next time, everybody. And Dave, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for inviting me, Steve. And I apologize for the barking dog, the screaming teenagers and, and everything else that was going on in the background. No worries. No worries. It's a, it's a wild time working from home doing all this stuff.